This morning as we move along in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke, today we come to the final two and a half chapters of Luke's Gospel. Today we start the, the final two and a half chapters of the Gospel of Luke. So far we have gone word by word, verse by verse, through, if you can imagine this, 22 and a half chapters, all of them detailing the life and the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I never knew how long this would take. I had no idea how long it would take. I thought maybe we could pass through this in, in maybe perhaps a year. Uh, the other day I was talking to someone, and they, they told me that there are kids that have been born here that are now going into the third grade that think Luke is the only book in the Bible. And I told them that's because they're not coming on Sunday night. And we have passed now through 22 and a half chapters. Now, I, I can sit there and think about those verses, 22 and a half awesome chapters, 22 and a half amazing chapters. And I will tell you, I have loved it. I've loved every minute of it, every piece of it. I've been continually amazed. I've been continually astounded. And I've loved every minute of it. And now today, we come to these last two and a half chapters. And I am not worthy to preach these last two and a half chapters. In fact, I do not believe anybody is. Honestly, I am not prepared to preach these last two and a half chapters. I believe no one is. And I will tell you, I approach these last chapters in great reverence. When I approach these last two and a half chapters, my heart beats differently. There is a heavier beat to my heart. And I approach these last two and a half chapters. I, I, I read through them. And I'll tell you, at times I want to I wanna jump and I want to shout and I want to praise the Lord. And the other times I want to be silent and I want to cover my face and I want to cry. Folks, these two and a half chapters tell of the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, I ask that you would join me over these weeks and maybe months praying that Jesus would be known in this effort. Praying that, that Jesus would be seen in this effort and maybe we would, we would see him as we've never seen him through these verses. I, I pray that Jesus would be glorified in this effort and, and that would be the end result, that he would receive great glory in, these effort, in this effort. And so I ask that you would join me in praying each week as we move through these verses. May people be saved in this effort. May lives be changed. And I want to tell you, if, if nothing else, in these two and a half chapters, if your life doesn't change, something is, is dreadfully wrong with you. May our hearts be shaped in these last two and a half chapters. And so today we start Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. The last two and a half chapters of the gospel Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Our sermon is entitled today, The Glory of the Garden. The Glory of the Garden. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 22, beginning here in the 39th verse. God's Word says this. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. 
When he arrived at that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we approach you this morning with worship. In our hearts. We, we approach you today with thanksgiving in our hearts. We, we come now and we approach you, and I pray as we, as we take on this endeavor to, to finish the truth of this gospel, I pray that, that we would have a growing adoration for you in our hearts, a growing reverence for the cost of our salvation. Lord, I pray that in the preaching of your word, the, the proclamation of this truth, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that folks would find Jesus Christ, that many folks would be saved in this time. I pray that, that our hearts would be changed in this time. and We would see ourselves differently. We would see our sin differently. We would see you differently. I pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts in this time. And I pray that the result of this would be great glory given to you that you would be known, that you would be honored, that your name would be lifted up. And so we commit this to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful. We praise you and we worship you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Very quickly this morning, let's start into our verses. We're going to begin today in verse 39. Here we go. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. Now see this. Here as we start verse 39. He finishes with his disciples. That was our message from last week. He finishes with his disciples. And the Bible says he came out and he proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives is across the Kidron Valley, just outside of Jerusalem. And this was Jesus' normal routine. His normal routine was to go to a garden there, Gethsemane, to pray, to retreat, and to be alone. Understand this last, this week, this last week in Jesus' life is the week of the Passover. And Jerusalem is crowded. And there's not rooms to be had there. There's not few or, or maybe any places to stay. And people have crowded into the city. Now more than that, the curiosity surrounding Jesus, they are also surrounding our Lord. They're surrounding him. And so every evening, the Bible tells us, he would retreat to this secluded pray, place outside of the city to pray, to be alone. This was his common practice. Now, I think it's interesting. It was so much a part of his common practice that Judas knew where he would be. 
Now remember the, the dilemma of the, the Jewish leaders, the dilemma of Judas was when could they find Jesus when people weren't there? If they were to, to try to snatch him up in the midst of a crowd, they were afraid a riot would start. Well, Judas knew so much was this practice that they would find Jesus, they would find the Lord there in this garden. The Bible says, and the disciples also followed him. Now get this. Now see this. Having taught his disciples, having trained his disciples these three years, having instituted the Lord's Supper now for his church, having himself observed the last Passover. Understand, he is the Passover lamb himself. And, and what's, what, what a profound thing that is, that he observes the very last Passover. He is the final Passover lamb. And so having observed this last Passover, having fulfilled the law of Moses, every dot and every tittle, he fulfills the law of Moses. Having been tempted in every way as a man, and yet without sin, the book of Hebrews tells us. Having proclaimed that he is the Messiah, that he is, he is the Christ, starting in Luke chapter four, remember, I am he, and these are fulfilled in your hearing today. Having proclaimed that he is the, the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Having done many miraculous signs confirming his claims. Having done all of that, there is one peace that waits. Having done all of that, the magnitude of all of that, having finished all of that, there is one final peace that waits. The capstone of his redemptive work, the apex of his mission of salvation, the, the climax of the gospel of grace. And friends, that is the cross of Calvary. Folks, understand today, it all comes down to the cross. Be sure of that. Listen, it all comes down to this terrible, beautiful, blood-stained cross, the cross of Calvary. And let me be clear in something today. And brothers and sisters, we need this today. Listen to me very carefully. In our world of half gospels, in our day of pathetic, distorted gospels, listen to me, you cannot separate Jesus from the cross of Calvary. Do you understand that? You cannot separate Jesus from the cross of Calvary. Today we live in a world where no one wants to talk about the wrath of God. No one wants to talk about the, the penalty of sin, the, the penalty that I've earned and that you have earned, the penalty of death. Today, no one wants to talk about responsibility for that sin. We want to come and say, you know what? Lift it off of me. Blame it on my parents. Blame it on the environment. Today, no one wants to talk about the cruelty of the cross. And so today, churches are proclaiming a crossless Christianity. And you can listen on the radio and you can go on the internet and you can visit churches and they're having a crossless Christianity. Today, people are preaching a bloodless salvation and they're not seeing there's power in the blood Listen, and they have missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be very clear today. You cannot understand Jesus if you haven't seen the cross. 
be very clear today. You cannot truly worship Jesus. I see all these productions. Oh, we're worshiping Jesus. You cannot truly worship Jesus if you haven't been educated in the cross. Friend, you've never met Jesus. You don't even know who he is. If you haven't stood as a sinner at the foot of his marvelous cross and gazed upon that cross. So the Bible says Jesus came and as was his custom, he proceeds to the Mount of Olives and there there is now a number to his steps leading to that cross. Listen to verse 40. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, this is interesting. Notice here, he doesn't tell them, he doesn't ask them to pray for him. He doesn't ask him to pray for himself. Now, wouldn't that be the reasonable thing to do? He's the one that's going to the cross. Wouldn't that be the normal thing to do? He's the one that's going to endure the cross. Oh, gather and not just watch with me, but pray for me. Wouldn't that be the thing to do? But he tells them, notice this, pray for themselves. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, what does that mean? The word temptation here in the, in the original language, the, the Greek language, the word temptation means, it translates this, an enticement to sin. Or it is an allurement to be out of God's will. Now, if you think about it, that's what sin is. Anytime you're sinning, you're against, you're out of the will of God. And so this word for temptation is an allurement to be outside of the, of the will of God. And so he says, pray for yourselves. Pray that you're not allured to step out or to get out of God's will. Now, here's what I believe about this. Here's what I believe it means. He is saying, pray that in seeing all that you're about to see. He says, pray in that experiencing all that you're about to experience, not just in this short term, but in the long term as well. Pray in the face of all of these things. Pray that you will not abandon this cause. Another gospel account says, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you won't see all of these things. Pray that you won't experience all these things and have an allurement to somehow leave the cause. Remember these disciples were created for something. God did that. Remember that the truth of last week, that the spread of the gospel is going to fall on them. Jesus is going to ascend. He's going to go to heaven, and the spread of the gospel, the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel will fall on these people. And so in the heaviness of this call, in the hardship of this call, in the heartache of this call, the temptation will be just to quit. It'll be just to do something else. And oh, they may have great intentions. And yes, they may be steeped in those great intentions, but the temptation will always be there. Oh, you can just quit. Oh, you can do something else. Their flesh is gonna call out. This is not doable. This is not sustainable. It's good enough right here. Let it end right here. And so he says, in all of that, 
Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray. Very simple verse. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray. Start to see the picture here. Start to imagine this picture because it is a very profound picture. It is a very telling picture. It is a very important picture. And when the world starts to be too appealing to you, friend, come back to this picture. When your sin starts to seem to be too attractive to you, friend, come back to this picture. And when your faith becomes a flippant thing to you, friend, come back to this picture. He knelt down. In the Greek, in the original language here in Luke, it means he fell to his knees. He fell to his knees. Now, this is the starting place, I believe. And it says he fell to his knees and he began to pray. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 says, and he fell to the ground. Matthew says that he fell to his face. Now, the verb tense in all of those gospels is continual. In Matthew, it says that this goes on for three hours. Now, I want you to see the picture here. Jesus falls to his knees, and then he falls to the ground, and then he falls on his face, and really he is writhing there in agony here in this garden. I want you to see this picture. Jesus, who calmed the storms, Jesus, this same Jesus who walked on water. Jesus, listen, who raised the dead. He raised the dead. That Jesus, that Jesus, my Lord and my Savior is agonizing and he's flailing there on the ground. He's writhing there on the ground and he falls to his knees and he falls to his face and he lays on the ground and he picks himself back up and he turns in turmoil and he does it again and he flails on the ground. Jesus does that. Do you see the picture? It's not some flippant thing that he enters into and and has to weigh it. It's a a three-hour agony. It's, It's turmoil. And the Savior falls and he falls and he rises up and he falls. And he's in prayer. Verse 42. Verse 41. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Saying, Father, this cup. Let me tell you, I can't describe this cup. I'm going to try, but I, I honestly cannot begin to describe this cup. Verse says that he is saying, and what that means is he kept saying it. And notice he says here, if you're willing, he doesn't say, are you able? He is absolutely able. Listen, that's, that's the amazing thing. He is absolutely able, but he says, if you are willing, he kept saying it, remove this cup. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup. And he kept saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup. And he falls to his face. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup. Remove the cup. 
This cup is the final full rejection of his own people. And he came into his own and they received him not. This cup is the final rejection of his people. Very shortly they'll yell, crucify him, crucify him. This cup is the scorn of his enemies. Even more painful, it's the abandonment of his friends. They'll turn away. It's the turning of his own family. This cup is the beating across his back. This cup is the shame of being stripped naked there in public display. This cup is the mockery of being spat upon as he travels the streets. They spit upon him. This cup is a crown of thorns and mockery that's fashioned and shoved into the brow of his head. This cup are the nails that are driven through his hands and through his feet. Now listen, more than that, if you can imagine more than that, This cup is the sin of every man. Every sin of every man. All of them, all of them are placed upon him. The known ones, they're placed upon him. The obvious ones, they're placed upon him. The secret ones, they're placed upon him. The vile sins, the grotesque sins, the sins of wickedness, the perverted sins, all of the sins of all people of all time, all sins are being placed upon him. The Bible says he became our sin. This cup is the disgrace of all of that sin being heaped upon him, the one who never sinned, he never sinned, and the shame of sin is heaped upon him. This cup is the wrath of God, the anger of God, the hatred of God toward each of those sins being poured about upon him, not on the person that did them, being poured on him. The full wrath of God settles on the Son. This cup is the perfect Lamb of God being slain. If you're willing, Father, take it away. If you're willing, Father, take it away. Oh, if there's any other way, if there's another way, Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, do you hear me in the garden? If you're willing, take the cup away. Yet, not my will but yours be done. Now I want you to understand this. Well, that's what he had to say, isn't it? Well, of course that's what he said. That's what he had to say, isn't it? Listen, this act of submission, this act of obedience is absolute torture for Jesus because of the cost. Do you understand that? Because of the cost This act of submission, this act of obedience is absolute torture. I don't want to do it, oh, but I'll do it. I don't want to do it, oh, but for the joy set before me, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, oh, but for those lost in their sin, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, oh, but for the redemption of mankind, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, oh, but the glory for the creator God, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, oh, but I'll do it. It's torture for Jesus. Verse 43. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Don't know that we always catch that verse, do we? 
Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, strengthening him. Go back to the picture. Oh, what that angel saw. Oh, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. Oh, what that angel saw. You see, this was his Lord. This was his creator. He knew who he was. They may have been fooled. He knew who he was. This was the king. This was the prince of glory. This is the one with the rightful seat on the throne in glory. This is the one that he worshiped. This is the one that they sing in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the one. He knows who he is. And he came to strengthen him. He came to encourage him. I can't imagine what he sees. I can't imagine what he thinks. What's wrong with this world? Oh, how rotten is this world? I can't imagine this. I don't know if angels cry. I don't know that. But surely he had to weep as he comes to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let me help you. Oh, Lord, let me encourage you. Oh, Lord, what a rotten world. I'm so sorry. And he comes and he knows it's the king and he comes to attend to him. I can't picture that angel. Can you imagine that picture? I can't imagine that angel. Be very clear here. Understand it. This is a supernatural battle. This isn't about the the Romans and Jesus. It's more than that. It's not about the Jews and Jesus. Listen, Satan and all the forces of evil This is their battle. This is a supernatural battle. Understand, this is a supernatural battle. And so an angel comes in a supernatural battle. Verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Now I want your picture to keep growing. See the picture. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The Gospel of Matthew says that he was grieved to the point of death. That is where we find Jesus. He is grieved to the point of death. The word here, the Greek word for agony, means an intense, unrelenting pressure. It's a pressure, an intense, unrelenting pressure. It also, another translation is anxiety, a deep anxiety. Another one said this, another time this word is used is the terror of death. It is the instant that you realize you're going to die, and maybe it's an accident or something that sprung up upon you, and in that instant, it's the terror of death that springs up in your heart. He's in agony. He's grieved even to the point of death. Fervently means intently, intensely. He prays fervently. He prays intensely. Oh, Father, listen, if there's another way, if there's another way, let this cup pass. But not my will, yours be done. The Bible says his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. Now see this picture. His sweat becomes like drops of blood falling 
upon the ground that he created in this beautiful garden. There's a debate whether that's literal or not. Did he really sweat blood? Scientists say it's possible. There's, a, there's the potential for a person to get to the position that they actually would sweat blood. It could be that. Or it could be that he just sweat like blood. And it was just like blood if he was, if he was cut or injured. And it's falling off his face. And the sweat is dropping off his brow. And it's falling there to the ground. See the picture again. When the world would become too attractive for you, see the picture again. When sin would become too alluring for you, oh, it's a little bit of sin. When sin becomes alluring, when your faith becomes flippant to you, see the picture again. Jesus is in agony. Jesus is grieving. Jesus is anguishing. Jesus, he's so far from Bethlehem now. He's so far from that manger. He's so far from the carpenter's shed where he laughed and spent time with his father. He's so far from Nazareth and Galilee, the places where he grew up. And here he is isolated in this garden and he is writhing in agony. Some early versions of the printed New Testament left verses 43 and 44 out for fear that it diminished his glory. They came along and they knew that was in there, but they they couldn't understand it, didn't reconcile with them. And so for fear that it was somehow lessened, that would lessen his glory, they left it out. An angel attending to God, not our God, and so they left it out. The Savior pleading in agony, that's not our Savior. No, that's not our Savior. And so they leave it out to protect the glory of God. Surely that's not our Lord in such agony. Verse 45. When he rose from prayer, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Sleeping from sorrow. Now Luke is not as hard as the other gospel writers are. They record the actual words of Jesus when he says, Could you not stay with me one hour? Could you not stay awake and pray with me but for one hour? But Luke sees them differently. And he sees, yes, they're asleep, but he says, you know what? They're sleeping from sorrow. Here's the truth. Some of you know this. Great sorrow wears you out. Some of you know that. Great sorrow crushes you emotionally, but it also drains you physically. And when you're you're under such sorrow, such grief, sometimes the only thing you can do is just curl up in a ball and go to sleep. So he comes back and he finds them and they're there and they're sleeping. And the Bible says, from great sorrow. Verse 46. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's the same request. Don't pray for me. Pray for yourself. It's the same concern that they might be allured into temptation. What you're going to do is going to matter. Pray that you're going to stay, that you're going to endure in God's will. Pray for yourselves.
I want to finish this morning, and I want to point out something here in this picture, something we may have missed, something earth-shattering, something eternity-changing, something that glorifies our Savior, something so, so, so amazing. Stay with me. See this. I'm going to finish with this. Understand this. Listen very carefully. Understand this. Everything changes. Everything hinges. Everything comes down to, listen very carefully, to two times that Jesus stands up. And both of those times are here in these two and a half chapters. Listen very carefully. Two times that Jesus stands up, eternity changes. Two times that the whole paradigm changes when Jesus stands up and they're here in these two and a half chapters. Now, now one of them we know, one of them we remember, one of them we cherish, and that is Easter Sunday morning. When on that particular morning, on that exact morning, a historical morning, on that morning, when having been dead in the grave for three days, with the cost of redemption having been fully paid, with sin having received its just punishment, with, G, with the Jews somewhere rejoicing, with the disciples somewhere wondering, with the demons somewhere celebrating, and with the angels all sitting up and watching. Listen to me, on that Sunday morning, Jesus stands up. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And our Savior on that morning stands up and eternity changes. Our Savior stands up. We know that one. We celebrate that one. But see this. Folks, there is no that one if there's not this one. When here in the garden, here in these verses unseen, having now come face to face with the fullness of his human flesh, when dreading the executioner's whip across his back, when terrified over the hammer's nails that'll pierce through his hands and his feet, when disgusted with the sins of all mankind, when staring into the wrath of a holy father, when writhing there on the garden floor, when praying with all that he had, oh father, oh father, oh father, when praying with all that he had, when drops of blood and sweat are falling there to the garden ground. Listen, and the greatest act of love ever and the greatest show of submission ever, I believe in the greatest demonstration feat of power ever, knowing the cross was ahead, but knowing that I am lost without the cross, knowing I'm stuck in my sin, knowing for me there is no other way, there with the cross in the future, Jesus stands up and eternity changes. He stands up. Up and he goes to the cross of Calvary. No, it doesn't diminish his glory. It is his glory. Yet not my will be done, but thine. Oh, what a Savior we have. Oh, what a Savior we have. Writhing on the ground, knowing the cross, he stands up and he goes for me. And you, what a Savior, what a Savior.
Go with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. I come across such sacred words, such sacred verses telling me of your agony, of your dilemma, of your grace, of your kindness, of your strength. When you stand up, and there is no doubt what waits for you, an executioner's whip, an executioner's hammer, the sin of all mankind to be born in you, to be carried by you, the shame to be carried by you, your own blood to run out. And yet you stand up and you go to that cross for the salvation of sinners. Lord Jesus, I praise you. I thank you. I worship you. What a Savior. Jesus, what a Savior. Lord, I pray as, we, as we've begun to look at these verses, I pray for someone here that doesn't know you. I pray for somebody here that's gotten comfortable in their sin, for somebody here that's gotten pretty good at excusing it, that they see the Son of Man, the Son of God, the perfect Lamb writhing there as He stands up under the weight of my sin, His sin, our sin. Lord, I, I, I pray that that would change the heart today. As that sinner sees you stand up under the weight of his sin, I pray that that would change a heart today, that would change a mind today. Perfect, sinless Lamb of God, as he carries it, heaped in the shame upon him, I pray that it changes a heart today, Lord. Lord, I pray this be the day of someone's salvation. I pray for us here as believers. I pray that we have a renewed picture of you and a renewed appreciation for the cross and the suffering. And yet, before you even endure it, you stand up under that weight and you commit to go. Lord, I pray that we could never be so allured with this world that we'd forget that picture. I pray that that picture would, would change how we, how we approach sin in our day, in our life. I pray that that picture would change our worship. Lord, we come and we just end this by saying we love you, we thank you, we worship you, we exalt you. I thank you, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. We give you this time of invitation. I trust it to you, and I pray all this in my Lord's name, in Jesus' name, amen.